Hi again, and welcome to And That's My Two Cents podcast. I'm Catherine Tereski, and today I am going to provide you with some information on cognitive behavioral thinking, um, also known as cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT for short, if you like acronyms. To quote Olivia Telford, she says that CBT improves your confidence, boosts your happiness, and can make you more satisfied with life in general. If you've been feeling stuck lately and aren't sure how to move forward, forward, CBT will give you clarity. You'll understand yourself better, move on from your past, and look toward a brighter future. So now if that didn't rope you into listening to this, then I don't know what will, because it sounds awesome, right? I mean, it sounds awesome because it really is. So if you listened to my episode on insomnia, you would have heard me raving about cognitive behavioral thinking and how it actually helped me with getting back to sleep when I would wake up in the middle of the night. I also uh, included a link to the book that you could purchase that explains it in more detail. Plus, this book includes some exercises that you can try in various areas that you may struggle in, or maybe you want to do the exercises in all of the areas. It's really up to you. But basically, there are ways you can train your brain to think differently, which can drastically improve your life overall. So if you purchased it and you read it, then you will understand everything I'm about to say in this episode. But if you didn't purchase it, you still can. You can just click on the link below in my show notes or go right over to my episode on insomnia, which was I think episode three, and click the link in the show notes there. And if you didn't buy it and you don't want to buy it, that's totally fine too. Um, Listening to this will give you kind of the gist of it because I did read the book because I definitely have to practice what I preach. So I'll give you the Coles Notes version in this episode. And if you don't know what that means, then just Google it. I mean, for me, I associate it with an 80s thing, but it was likely a 70s thing too, or maybe even a 60s thing. I don't know. All I know is back in the 80s, the Coles Notes books were what got me through high school because we didn't have the internet back then. I mean, I do enjoy reading, obviously. I've done a lot of it lately, and I'm always including links to books in my podcast, but I don't enjoy reading books that I'm not interested in. I would find that I would be reading, and then I would reread the paragraph, and then reread it again, and like the same paragraph over and over and not retain a single thing because I just wasn't interested. So I definitely needed the Coles Notes books. But anyhow, that was then. This is now. But also speaking of then, there's a really interesting fact that I found out about CBT that it actually started back in the 1950s and 1960s. Like it's not new, yet I hadn't really heard of it until I was in the Health Science Center Insomnia program. Or I mean, maybe I did hear about it, but I don't remember or I just can't recall. But I mean, really, they should teach this shit in school because... uh, Instead of, I don't know, Shakespeare or the periodic table or all these things that you learn that I've never really had to refer to that I can recall since I graduated in 1990. But I think this would definitely be a life skill worth teaching. Now, keep in mind, I am not an expert in CBT, nor am I a medical professional, but I have tried it and I have had success with it. And therefore, I felt like this was definitely something worth sharing with you. Anyway, back to the book. (laughs) Sorry about that. So the book that I read and that I recommended is called Cognitive Behavioral Therapy by Olivia Telford. And I want to read part of the introduction to you because I think it really sums up the benefit of CBT really well. I mean, way better than I could. So here it goes. 
Do you have a friend or relative who is always happy, self-accepting, and optimistic? Perhaps you've asked yourself what their secret is. Why can some people ride the stormy seas of life and stay smiling while others spiral down into despair whenever something goes wrong? The answer is actually quite simple. It all comes down to the way they think. Upbeat, self-assured people know that how you see the world and yourself makes all the difference. They know that to lead a great life, you need to learn how to get your mind working for you, not against you. In this book, you're going to discover how to transform your thinking and completely overhaul your relationships and mental health. It won't be easy, but you'll feel the difference within hours. Practice the exercises in these chapters and every area of your life will change for the better. So I feel like that kind of sums it up really well. Like I said, um, it's just really about changing the way you think and using kind of like goal setting approach to making your brain think differently or forcing yourself to think differently. And then I think over time, it will just start to come naturally. I also thought that I would mention there's different therapies and they all use like different techniques. They're all based on... Um, different types of treatments. There's certainly multiple different ways and techniques that are used, but they all have a few things that are basically in common. So they all encourage clients to identify their negative thought processes. They all teach clients to become their own therapists and they all encourage a pragmatic goal setting approach to behavior change. Basically in the book, you'll use like a different variety of all of the techniques based on those different therapies, uh, but they all kind of fall under, shall we say that one big umbrella that is CBT. So speaking of all the different therapies, I want to let you know that the list of things or the areas I guess that CBT could possibly help you with are depression, anxiety, OCD, phobias, stress, addiction, and procrastination. To be super clear, the book also mentions quite often that while self-help guides such as CBT can actually be helpful in those areas, they're not a substitute for urgent medical care. So if you suspect you have like depression or severe anxiety or phobias that are seriously affecting your life, um, thoughts of harm, or maybe even suicide, like you need to just reach out to a doctor or therapist as soon as possible and not jump into this straight away. But so just to be cautious about that, that yeah, this is helpful but not a substitute for medical care. CBT is not just like this magical cure. It definitely requires effort on your part. So you'd have to work through the technique either alone or with somebody else and you really have to put in the work or you're not going to see any results. So simply reading the book isn't going to change your life but if you read it and you start to learn it and you start to understand the basic concepts and just commit yourself to practicing them, it'll definitely take time to change your thought patterns of course because I mean you've been conditioned into these thought patterns for your whole life but if you do it you will see success but breaking habits is definitely hard to do so we all know that anyhow just making that clear that you really have to put in the effort if you want to see the results. Also, you know, not everyone has the time or even the money, even though our healthcare is so-called free here in Canada. And I use the word free very loosely because we all know that we actually pay for our healthcare and through high taxes and benefit packages or what's required to even cover some of these things or even just a portion of it anyways. It all depends. But self-help techniques like this can definitely be a great alternative or a great addition 
addition to or just, you know, a great start while you wait to get in to see a clinician. Something else you can try too to kind of keep tabs on maybe your different mood changes or how you're feeling from day to day is by journaling. They suggest a lot of journaling or like keeping a mood diary. Those types of things can also help. Super interesting thing I read is that the book says most people go through their daily lives thinking only about themselves. So that quote right there made me think, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have been dwelling on something that I said or or something that I did and wondering what other people were thinking about me or, I mean, I wish I knew this back in high school because I think that would have helped out like 100%. Talk about alleviating or at least maybe reducing that anxiety and stress, always worried about what other people thought. So I found that really interesting. So if you're one of those people that worries about what other people think, uh, just remember that most people go through their daily lives thinking only about themselves. Now on page 37 of this book, it talks about the three steps to more realistic thinking. So I want to go through this little blurb here as well and just read it to you because I feel like this was the one that I get the most help from uh, out of all of the different exercises in the book. I'm going to read this to you. Story time again, I'm sorry, but here it goes. You're about to learn a popular CBT technique that will let you take back control of your thoughts. It's called cognitive restructuring. Cognitive restructuring isn't about living in denial or wishing your problems away. You don't have to force yourself to think happy thoughts all the time. The aim is to process your thoughts in a balanced, rational way that leaves you feeling better about yourself and life in general. At first, cognitive restructuring might feel a little forced. It can be hard work, especially if you've been caught up in logical errors and self-loathing for a long time. The good news is that it gets easier the more you do it. So here are the three steps. Step one is identifying an unhelpful thought. Step two is weighing up the evidence for and against the thought. Step three is coming up with a rational, more helpful alternative. I think the most difficult part about this is going to be uh, actually step one, like trying to identify that negative thought because negative thoughts just seem to be automatic. So you're really going to have to stop, catch yourself, think about it, and then identify it so that you can actually address it. So I think that is the hardest part. But once you start doing it, it will become more natural to you. I want to run through one example to kind of show how it works, I guess. So this is an example that I found online that the thought that you have is that I'm going to mess this up. With the thought I'm going to mess this up, it's based on um, somebody who's about to do a work presentation. They're having this thought that they're going to mess it up. You go through that next step of the evidence for that thought. So what is the credible type of evidence you have for that thought? In this example, they say that one of the thoughts would be, I made a mistake early on that set this project back a few weeks. I don't have strong skills as a presenter, or I've never done this big of a project on my own before. So that being the evidence for that thought that you had, the evidence against the thought is what you want to come up with next. So in this example, a few of the thoughts that you might have that's evidence against that. One is my manager and I discussed the timeline of the project and came to an understanding. Two, I've been practicing my presentation for over two weeks and have practiced in front of a coworker who gave me some helpful feedback. And three, I know the topic, so I should be able to answer any questions that come up. So your last step is to come up with a rationale or a better way of, of thinking. Kind of be 
be a judge or pretend that you're doing this for a friend. So the type of feedback that you would give a friend or the type of suggestions you would maybe make to a friend instead of to yourself. So for instance, one of the things you could say was I've made mistakes, but in general, I work very hard. Another thing you could say to yourself is I'm genuinely trying my best. And another way of looking at it and something you can say is like, I've gotten good feedback so far and my manager trusts me to do this. Basically, you go from having this thought that you're gonna mess things up to thinking more along the lines of that, you know, in general, you're a hard worker, you're trying your best and you've gotten good feedback and that your manager trusts you. So those types of things can actually just maybe alleviate some of that anxiety and feel a little bit better about this presentation or this work project that you're about to do. So that's just an example. Chapter four, which is CBT for insomnia. I mean, of course I knew there was gonna be a chapter on that. And after I read that section, it's uh, definitely all of the things that I have learned through the years of struggling with the insomnia and uh, through that Health Science Center insomnia program. So another good chapter in there for me. Chapter eight in this book is called Releasing Regret and Getting Over Guilt Using CBT. Who doesn't think about mistakes that you've made in the past? We're all human, right? I mean, I've made many, many mistakes. I even have a tea towel that I got for a gift one year that says, I've learned so much from my mistakes that I'm thinking about making some more. So anyhow, it just shows you that I've definitely made mistakes and not happy with some of my past choices. But anyways, the chapter actually looks at how CBT can help you move past those feelings of guilt. Um, if you leave those, they'll just eat away at you. So you have to have to have to learn to just let it go, learn from those mistakes, and just kind of think differently about your past. Because everybody makes mistakes. I mean, we all have our faults. Even like super kind, patient, and moral people have made poor choices. They also say that hurting other people is actually part of being human, but the CBT will help you understand where the guilt and regret come from, help you to move past it, and how to maybe avoid making bad choices in the future. Just remembering how to react to events is just as important as the event itself. So since everybody makes mistakes and has guilt about their past, I thought that this was an important chapter to kind of highlight in this podcast because, you know, sometimes you've done something wrong or you feel really bad about something and you just like beat yourself up over and over again because you feel like you need to feel guilty forever and you need to punish yourself because of something that you've done. But in reality, they say that guilt is actually healthy in small doses. So it's kind of like a warning sign that is letting you know that you've maybe violated your own moral code. So when we feel guilty, we know it's time to make amends and apologize if appropriate. And that feeling guilty for a really long time doesn't benefit anybody. So you can't go back and change the past or what you've done or the mistakes that you have made. But if it warrants an apology, you can certainly do that. And that will make you feel a whole lot better. Admitting that you have made that mistake can actually make you feel a whole lot better and maybe lift some of that weight on your shoulders. And know that no one is perfect. And the sooner you realize that, the happier you're going to be. Like you wouldn't expect your family and friends to behave impeccably at all times times, right? Like, and forgiving yourself for the mistakes or the action that caused this guilty feeling is not letting yourself off the hook, really. On some level, you might think that it's allowing yourself to be totally fine with the things that you've done when it definitely not that at all. Like you can recognize when you've done something wrong, you can totally learn from it, and then you can move on. There's nothing wrong with releasing your guilt. And it doesn't mean that you approve of what you've done. It just means you're not going to give it 
too much time and attention because it's just going to make yourself miserable. And always remember that nobody's perfect. Now, CBT is actually action-oriented and it encourages you to make amends if you have made a mistake, if possible. So if, let's say you had an argument with a friend or maybe a coworker or something like that and you feel like the issue never actually got resolved. So you could totally call them up and apologize. And they do say that when you do apologize though, that it's important not to make it about yourself. So don't try to give excuses for why you behave that way or try to, you know, explain it away. Just tell them that you're sorry, that you regret it, and that maybe you'll never do it again, depending on what the, the situation was exactly. But note that no one actually has to accept your apology. And sometimes people won't. And that's why you really have to just rely on yourself to get that closure, because you're not always going to get that from somebody else. And then that's okay. And don't be surprised if the other person sometimes might even say to you, like, I don't know, I don't know, you have nothing to worry about. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, because you might find that you've totally blown this incident out of proportion, which I am guilty of, done it before. And I've really learned to just go to that person and say, you know, I'm I sure hope you didn't think this or I want to apologize for that. And in fact, almost every single time they're kind of like, no, I didn't think of it that way. I didn't take it that way. And or some of them will just be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I completely forgot about it altogether. So it's just, I just wanted to mention that because it's like a nice little reminder that the world doesn't revolve around you. You know, the world doesn't revolve around me. And, and what I thought was something that went wrong actually didn't. It was really no big deal. So it was just me making things dramatic and uh, overreacting when it didn't need to be at all. But had I not gone to them to apologize, I wouldn't have known that. And I probably would have stirred it into even more than it than it was at the moment that I actually approached that person to apologize. So just remember that. Don't stew on it. Just say something because it could totally alleviate all of that additional stress and anxiety. Now, I was thinking of wrapping it up right about here, but I really wanted to talk quickly about the one section that's called practical tips to becoming more assertive. So it's about saying no. And I want to bring this one up because I know people that have a difficult time saying no to other people and then end up over committing themselves and then being stressed out because, you know, they're trying to fit everything in because somebody asked them and they just don't know how to say no. They just say yes to everything. I, on the other hand, have no issues saying no. <laughs> just want to throw that out there. I am the complete opposite of this. But I found it really interesting to read about because, you know, there's people that are not like me where they can just say no to things. So this section, I just want to do a little quick summary of. So it really talks about, you know, if you're a people pleaser and you need to start saying no more often, that you shouldn't have to always just go along what everybody else wants and then, you know, maybe even feel resentful later. You have to learn how to decline requests and invitations. It goes into a little bit of detail. It gives you some examples, I guess I should say, of assertive responses that you can use instead of saying yes and just giving in because that's just easy and maybe you don't like to say no or you don't want to face any possible conflict maybe that will result from you saying no. But anyhow, it's important that if somebody doesn't respect you saying no, I mean, that's not your fault. They need to learn to respect other people's boundaries, plain and simple. So it's totally okay to say no. You should never do something that is going to cause you stress or overload your time. And people shouldn't be objecting when you say no. They shouldn't be providing you with like 
arguments that are totally irrelevant. Some people may be persistent when you say no um, and ask you the same question maybe several times. But even the rudest people will eventually get the message if you stand your ground and stand by your answer. Just don't allow yourself to get sidetracked and get sucked in. Now, after mentioning that section, aside from reading you this whole damn book, you should actually just buy it and read it. It's really, really, really good. If you if you think that anything that I've talked about has had any value or has been helpful in any way, or you'd like to know more on the specific exercises, then definitely get the book. Again, link will be in the show notes. I think this way of thinking is amazing and worth the effort 100%. So if you feel like you'd benefit more from this by doing it as part of a group even or whatever, there are several support groups out there that you can connect with. And there are actual CBT therapists that you can contact as well if you want to really dive into it. And I think I'll end on that note. I'm pretty sure I've talked long enough on this topic. So that's the basics of CBT and that's my two cents on it. So join me next time because now that pandemic restrictions are slowly lifting, I thought it would be a good time to talk about the things that people have accomplished over these past couple of years of living in a pandemic. And I'll definitely share with you what I've done. So until then, go try some of these CBT techniques to improve your life. I know it will because it's a game changer. Bye.